Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Other Castle. The Other Castle, and I am in love with today's focus. You're also Andrea. I'm also Andrea, <laughs> a.k.a. Mrs. Gordon Freeman, a.k.a. The Other Half of His Life, a.k.a. Thirsty for 27-Year-Old Dr. Gordon Freeman. Ay, ay, ay. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this will be fun for you. Yeah, this is going to be really fun for me, absolutely. <laughs> the irony being I'm the one that spent all this time with him. I thought you were going to say the irony that we're married, but okay. <laughs> so today we are on the other castle. I'm Andrea. I don't think you've introduced yourself. Oh yeah. My name is Tom. I'm her actual husband. Or the best man in my marriage to 27-year-old Dr. Gordon. He's 27. He's a doctor. Like, you, How are you mad about this? Because I'm your actual husband. Semantics. Oh, well. Don't be anti-semantics. <laughs> Some Kanye <laughs> shit. Anyway, this is the other castle. This is our podcast where we explore the plot lore and more of video games some are your favorite games some are your soon-to-be favorite games some are games you forgot existed and had buried deep in your memory like last week when we covered the flash game emo game but this week we are covering a game that a lot of people have heard of we've referenced on this show we've done the first part of this series and we are following up and i am so excited from the other castle team to bring you this episode yeah, Half-Life 2. We are finally going to be going back into the world of Black Mesa. In fact, we're going to Black Mesa East this time around. Oh, is it a different tram? It is a different location, yeah, as you're going to find out. Exciting. But before we get started, we have a lot of really fun announcements. We've got some pregame content. We really do. So, so we've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes. So much. <laughs> and a big reason why is because so many of you are reaching out to us. We get a lot of people reaching out to us through our Instagram, through our emails, and we kind of want to start giving you guys kind of a central location to go to. Yes, and I've only gotten one request for feet pics, and I'm pretty sure it was a joke, so you guys are pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, just one of you, so don't do it again. But that's not what we're talking about here. Yeah, they didn't get the feet pics, by the way, of Andrea. They got feet <laughs> pics, not of Andrea. Yeah, Tom's so, a weirdo. Anyway. Just be warned. That's not a bait to get you guys to email us asking for that content. <laughs> but what we do have is other kinds of content for you. So we do have a new website. It's our very own website, you guys. Tom built it with his hands. From the ground up. So if you go to theothercastlepodcast.com. Ah. Oh. Yeah, that's right. It's our very own. Theothercastlepodcast.com. All of our links are there, so it'll take you to all the different platforms. Every single episode is just posted straight there, so you can listen to it directly from like a browser. Yeah, and there's a little bit more about us in there, too. Uh, we've got some bios, and it's so cool. Tom genuinely was like, hey, can you come check this out? I walk over to his computer, and he's built this entire website. And I was like, what the? I was just in a meeting. Like, what the fuck were you doing? <laughs> Tom fucking built that shit like it was Ikea. It's so cool. I mean, honestly, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I completely made this up as I was going along, but they make it really easy for you nowadays. And that's kind of what podcasting is anyway. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> it's, it's thematically appropriate. But yeah, we've been working hard on that and building out some cool stuff to be able to connect with our community. And I'm super stoked. Yeah, on there you can send us messages. You can even send us voice messages, which is really cool. Songs. You and can then leave us a song. You can leave us a song. You can sing us something if you really feel like it. Yeah, absolutely. And then there is also another little section on there called Support the Other Castle, which will take you to... Only Feet. No. Oh. 
our new Patreon. Oh my gosh! So this is our way of bringing you The Other Castle all year long, because we still are going to stick to the season format of the show. Yeah. Because, you know, we got to play these games. We got to get through them. We want to give it the time that it deserves. But also, we have full-time jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Several, in fact. I have a couple side hustles. Like, yeah. I, I was actually talking to you about this. <laughs> I've had two jobs more of my life than I haven't. I think out of the dozen or so years I've been working in my life since I was 15 or 16, I've had only a single job, maybe like three or four out of those years. <laughs> so I'm busy. And I don't count this as a job because this is fun. But that being said, we still really love video games. We want to find ways to fill in the gaps while we're playing. Because again, these episodes are long. They take a lot of time to research. Like Tom did Red Dead. That's a 60-hour campaign at least. And then he and I have both poured 200 hours into it separately. And then building all that takes a long time to be able to deliver a clean story and the background for everything for you guys. Yeah, and Red Dead's not the only 60-hour game I did this season. We still have one more coming for the season finale. Oh my god. Yeah. All that being said, people <laughs> are still asking for more even. You know, we're getting people saying they want videos of our recordings. Honestly, the way we're set up and the way we record this, there's nothing to look at right now. It doesn't make sense to record this. People want live streams of things. People want to hear guest spots, you know, all sorts of stuff. So we want to be able to provide those kinds of things, but... We can't unless we can get to a point where one of us doesn't have to work as hard. <laughs> so Andrea can quit one of her 17 jobs. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> but, you know, we are getting to a point where we're putting a lot of our personal money into this. No one pays us to do this, guys. No. You haven't heard a single Casper ad. We don't have an audible code. We are not doing this selfishly. To be very clear, all that money is going to be reinvested into, like, maybe we'll upgrade our equipment and we'll be able to travel and do shows and do more events and be able to make merch or something cool like that. It's never going to be a lining the pocket situation. Um. No, absolutely not. And, you know, as like compensation for any kind of donation that you make to the show, we have all sorts of stuff that we're planning for you. We're going to have exclusive episodes on Patreon, which like might include like remakes of a few select games from Ooh. our past because we weren't quite so happy with how they turned out. There are a couple in my head that I am dying to re-record because I'm like, oh, that was embarrassing. I know so much more about this game now. Yeah, not gonna lie, doing today's episode makes me want to do Half-Life again, kind of. Cause... I'm, I'm always down to talk about 27-year-old Dr. Gordon Freeman. <laughs> but then there's also side quests that we want to do where, you know, a game like Red Dead Redemption 2 where we talked main storyline, there's a lot of side quests on there. So we can do an episode just on the side quests of Red Dead Redemption 2 or any of our games. Yeah, in Red Dead, you can save a town from the plague. Like, there's a bunch of crazy shit and it's really fun. And I am so excited to be able to have a little bit more bandwidth to dive into these. So again, if that's not your bag, Totally get it. Absolutely respect it. If you do want to kind of dive in with us, more than happy to have you. Yeah, we're going to have a monthly newsletter that's going to have news. We're going to have recommendations from us, talk about what we're playing, other different like other castle announcements. You're also going to get access to our Discord that we just started up. Ooh, That's going to be a really fun place. That's where Andre and I are going to be like interacting the most with people most definitely in order to get the discord and the newsletter honestly with those ones it's just a single time donation otherwise you can stay subscribed you know just permanently yeah i'm not gonna stop you no but then we're, <laughs> we're gonna give merch too we got stickers your very own bio shot glass uh! there's even postcards and a chance to hang with us tom and andrea 
here in Las Vegas and record an episode. I will not fly you out. You no. have to get here yourself. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we're charging a lot for that one. But hey, if you got the money, we'll take it. <laughs> you know, if you want to get weird, let's get weird. Not like that, but like, ah, <laughs> uh, shit. We're getting back into that oldie fans territory. But remember, I'm married. <laughs> so. Literally last night before recording this episode, we got some news about another convention coming up, but we haven't signed any paperwork yet, so we don't want to make any official announcements, but it's a big one. But if it works out, I'm so fucking excited, so I'm putting some good energy out there, because this one I was really fucking stoked on. So again, you can find us at theothercastlepodcast.com. That's theothercastlepodcast.com. You have to hit it twice, Tom. Every time. (laughs) That's why I have you here. Yeah. And then also... On Patreon, you can find us at The Other Castle as well. Thank you guys so much. Anyway, so now that all that housekeeping is done, let's talk (laughs) about the actual game Half-Life 2. Because the story of its creation is every bit as fascinating as the game itself. Oh, shit. And I am so excited about today's episode because, yeah, I got to spend some time with your boyfriend, 27-year-old Dr. Gordon Freeman. And Mm -hmm. I got to admit, you picked a pretty good boyfriend. Yeah? You're you're, you're proud of this one? I I hate how fucking great he is. Is is it a better boyfriend than uh, Trevor from GTA V? I mean, he's going to treat you way better. That's for damn sure. How do you know that? He treated Patricia really well. I mean, you like... He loved her. (laughs) He is just the strong, silent type, and I do mean silent. I don't like that. I don't think I'd be compatible with that in real life. I'm just going to throw it out there. That's true. You need some jib-jab. I do need some We have a fucking podcast. Because you need the jib-jab. Yeah. I can't be alone (laughs) with my thoughts. Well, ever since Valve released Half-Life 1 in 1998, there was a massive demand for a follow-up, especially considering the confusing cliffhanger ending where 27-year-old Dr. Gordon Freeman, I promise we're not going to say that every single time we say his name. I'm only (laughs) going to hit it when it matters. When he agreed to go work for the mysterious Man in Black. That's right. He got a job offer at the end of Half-Life 1. And they began development soon after the fanfare died down from the first outing. And before they really nailed down where the story was going to go, they wanted to figure out how they were going to innovate from the first game. Oh, totally. Because that's what Valve is all fucking about is how can we make everything better and cooler and upgrade it all? Yeah. And this was kind of the heyday of doing that for them. That's what's up. First off, they needed to develop a new in-house engine called the Source Engine. Okay. Okay. And this was a modification off of the Quake engine, because a lot of the guys from this team came from the team from Quake. Gotcha. And an engine is really just the building blocks that you can use in a game, right? It's like your toolkit that developers use to build out the world that you experience, right? Yeah, for whatever game you're going with, yeah, this is the hardware behind it. Gotcha. The Quake engine, honestly, was just like a starting point, though. From there, they kind of added on to it, kind of like Legos or stuff. Mm -hmm. They kind of built onto it, and it became something its own. And this engine itself, the Source engine, would go on to power some of the most massive games to come. Oh, shit. So games like the Portal series, the Left 4 Dead series, Dota 2, Team Fortress 2, Nuclear Dawn, CSGO, the Stanley Parable. (laughs) that's fucking wild like one of those is not like the other i know (laughs) (laughs) i know it's really funny right yeah but also i mean i think it has something like 46 games now like on the source engine oh very cool and it was also the starting point much the same way the quake engine was the starting point for the source engine that the team over at respawn used when they made the other castle alum the titanfall series as (laughs) well as apex legends nice 
So it is a basis for a lot of things to come. So they were really at the beginning of that innovation at this point. Some building blocks getting laid down. Very cool. Yeah, and during this development, Valve lead Gabe Newell decided to let the smart people do their smart things. And he went on to start working on this little steamy side project that they had going on. Little steamy side project. Yeah, they were putting together like this self-publishing platform because their contract with Sierra, their current at the time publishing partner was about to expire. Why are you making this sound like they're launching LiveJournal and not one of the forefronts of gaming as it is today? <laughs> you are, it's aggressively undercutting what Steam is. Come on. I know, but at the time, it really was just going to be a launcher. That's okay. all they were building. All right. And the game is credited as written by Mark Laidlaw and show veteran Eric Walpaw. Oh, that's my boy, Eric Walpaw. Yeah, Eric was involved in the Portal series as well as in this season's Psychonauts. Get him some cake. Right? He deserves some cake and not the live version. No, he deserves some whole ass cake. He's a funny fucking guy. He has such an incredible comedic voice that's very cynical and dark, but is still very cutting and very funny. I really enjoy his content. Oh, yeah. He's the reason we have cake. <laughs> he invented cake. He's the reason it's a lie. Yes. <laughs> well, He's great. Eric was brought on pretty late in the project, actually. He was not as involved in the actual writing of Half-Life 2. He did more like punch-up and minor NPC dialogue kind of shit. Gotcha. But it was really to keep him nearby as he went on to write the follow-ups Half-Life 2 episodes 1 and 2. Gotcha. Okay, so he was like, he's kind of on the surface, but he knows the world enough to get the torch passed to him after this. Yeah, it was really smart to get him involved so that way he really can feel the world that he was going to have to like expand on later. Very cool. The game's physics were the first thing they need to develop on the new Source engine. And mm. I actually want to give a shout out to Noclip Documentaries on YouTube. He does fantastic video game documentaries. I had not discovered him until I was doing Half-Life 2. He's done a bunch of documentaries on games we've already covered and stuff just on the development and stuff. He's, he's a wonderful documentarian. Highly, highly recommend watching him. Oh, dang. We should check him out for some of our reissues on the Patreon then. Oh, absolutely. I, I would love to even interview him on there. That'd be great. Manifesting. Be our friend. Also, while we're manifesting, just throw it out there one more time. I want to be on them, actually. <laughs> Keep doing it. I subscribed to Dropout. Come on. Well, as we talked about, the Source engine was going to be their base for every game to come from Valve. So they were developing things not just for Half-Life 2, but for everything under development. Nice. And they put together a physics demo, but didn't know what to use it for yet. Just they showed it as a demo, and the Half-Life team wanted it. So they were at an all hands. They're like, look what we did. And Team Half-Life said, dibs, dibs, dibs we want to do that. <laughs> yep, that's exactly what happened. I like the parallel of that when the portal team was at the uh, open house for that school. And we're like, yeah, yeah, come work with us now. Yeah, Valve has a tendency to do that a lot. They're good adapters. <laughs> you're going to hear in this story. It happens a few times. Love that. And part of the stress of making a sequel to such a huge hit was innovation. Totally. And they needed that world building to feel like Half-Life, but to expand on that world that has come from like the consequences of Half-Life. Yeah, they kind of melted the world down and uh, released Hell into Arizona. Right. So <laughs> Entirely, right? <laughs> and these innovations, they have to serve the storytelling first. So there were some things that got cut just because it didn't help to improve the story. So they built this game out knowing that they wanted a silent protagonist. Sexy. And that there are no cutscenes. Hmm. Just like... <gasps> Where's my glass? Is it Bioshock? No, the first game, Half-Life. 
I already poured this shit, so I'm drinking. Yeah, because Bioshock wouldn't be released for another three years. Son of a bitch, timeline. After Half-Life 2. Ah. It's the basis for so much to come. Should we be doing Half-Life 2 shots? (laughs) No, it's okay, because Bioshock is still as influential, if not more so. Fair enough. (laughs) And just like in Half-Life 1, the world building happens to you instead of through a cutscene. And if it's going to happen to you, it has to feel real. So that's why they focused on the physics before anything. Very cool. You know, that's also very prevalent in the development of Dead Space, where they said no cutscenes, even in scenes where you're watching something, you can kind of walk back and forth because you have to be interacting with things. And Isaac is not a speaking protagonist until 2, 3, and the remake of 1. So, <laughs> similar. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good call out. And you mentioned earlier how they poached the entire team from DigiPen to build the Portal series. (laughs) Right. That's not the only place that Valve had a tendency to farm from. Mm. They also had a tendency to farm from the modder community. Oh, interesting. After Half-Life 1 came out, tons of mods were made off of that game. Very cool. And we've talked about gaming magazine culture before on this show and from that era. And Valve relied on that community to get mods into the hands of gamers before sharing via download was even viable. Wow. You know, that's interesting because that team is so in tune with modders that when we talk about Portal 2 and Wheatley building out those fucking test chambers and it says test on the wall because bad modders write shit on the walls with things. You know, they just seem so in tune with their community. I love that. They really were. Well, these discs, they came with mods for all sorts of different games and valve would just fucking load those things down with a ton of mods for half-life one and then they'd pay attention to which ones stuck oh very cool so what kind of mods are we talking about counter-strike oh shit (laughs) so you know some that are really stuck yeah some that have absolutely stuck and are still very relevant today yeah i mean other ones were just you know make some of the aliens have bigger heads you know little mods like that (laughs) but at the end of the day there were other ones that were entire games in and of themselves i mean arguably undertale is a mod out of (laughs) earthbound from toby fox's modding days and stuff too so i appreciate that they do recognize the power and creativity of mods and leaning into that instead of being weirdly tight-lipped about it or anything like that. Yeah, and in fact, they hired the entire mod team that made Counter-Strike and just brought them into Valve proper. They're just like, just do Counter-Strike now. (laughs) Here's a paycheck. You have dental. Yeah, absolutely. And with everything moving along, Gabe Newell set a release date of September 30th, 2003. Problem was, literally everyone else at Valve was saying they are absolutely not going to hit that release date. (laughs) he's like i have a date and everyone said bitch good luck you know what that is that's the girl that books her wedding venue before she has a boyfriend Ooh, (laughs) no damn i like this spot i'm gonna book it now yeah and you're like babe you're single doesn't matter (laughs) i need to have a may wedding and i am not getting married after i turn 28 that bullshit that rom-com fucking broken brain shit that's homeboy Well, that single bitch, Gabe Newell, he stood firm on (laughs) September 30th, 2003. Never the bride. All the way up until September 23rd, 2003. Shut the fuck up a week before? When he finally relented and announced the game was delayed to a vague holiday season. So on the 22nd, he's like, no, (laughs) fuck you guys. We got this. And they're like, sir. And like the internet rages for a lot of things unnecessarily, but this was absolutely fucking deserved. 
you know, I've been a marketer in my life and I'm fully sympathetic to like, no, no, they printed shit. That is wasted now. You know what that is? That's fucking when Star Wars had like a different subtitle and they pushed out a bunch of marketing materials and now that shit's super expensive on eBay and shit. Revenge of the Jedi, yeah. Thank you, yeah. Instead of Revenge of the Sith, right? Return of the Jedi. Excuse me, Return of the Jedi. Not my fandom. I've seen them all. Don't. <laughs> it's don't, all right. Don't come for me. <laughs> but, you know, I'm sure those posters that say September 30th are very expensive and big collector's items. Yeah, they might actually be, not gonna lie. <laughs> How cool would that be? It'd be like, yeah, I got it before they gave in, but poor fucking gay being like, I'm holding out hope. Maybe he'll show up. <laughs> Maybe I'll meet him tomorrow at a coffee shop and then going, release the deposit. I won't need the venue anymore. Yeah, poor Gabe indeed. Mm. Well, he uh, was getting hated on the internet. Totally. I say that the hate was deserved, but what happens next was not deserved. Oh, okay. At the time of Half-Life 2's development, security on the Valve network was fucking awful. Because this was the early aughts. Yeah, the internet wasn't as connected as it is today. People weren't as tight on security. There was no two-factor authentication or anything like that. Yeah. And most of the developers didn't even password protect anything in order to save time logging into things. I have my fucking face ID on my phone and <laughs> that boggles my mind. Well, as a result, quite a few hackers managed to hack in and steal a bunch of emails and internal <gasps> message board posts. Oh. Like, and this is all pre-Slack or Discord, so this is all like very internal shit. Wow. And one hacker named Axel Gembe was just looking for news to leak to gaming press when he stumbled on the motherload. Uh-huh. The new source engine source code along with Half-Life 2's full source code. <gasps> they found everything? The entire fucking game. Holy shit. And he didn't know how to take that code and turn it into a working game. Yeah. So his Dumbass sent it to a dude online who said they could get it working for him. And even though that random ass guy on the internet promised they wouldn't tell anyone. Oh my God. They leaked it online. Oh my God. Kids, <laughs> don't trust strangers online. Like people have said maybe that the Last of Us 2 leak was the biggest leak in gaming. Yeah. It has fucking nothing on this yeah that was like the cutscene of joel this is an entire fucking game the entire game and oh. it was downloaded over four million <gasps> times no holy shit this is a time when downloading wasn't even that big a thing no you'd have to like get the phone off the hook for a couple days to download something on <laughs> dial up that much honey holy shit well to help with that downloading it included an early version of steam platform steam the platform steam was a very early version on this also because that's a file sharing thing because you stream oh my god well they ended up launching steam kind of shortly after that because <laughs> it was supposed to be the launcher for half-life 2 and that team was ready for the september 30th release date fucking steam all cocky and shit in their like cubicle wall like well we're ready for september gabe <laughs> fucking R teacher's pets ass fucking <laughs> steam was on their shit team half-life's like chugging red bulls <laughs> like full gremlin mode like fuck you guys i have to keep rendering these goddamn head crafts yeah. and team steam's like we're having a pizza party we're ready and you remember like this is a time when they brag about 
crunch culture more so than they're like, uh, we should keep that quiet. Yeah, <laughs> this was a different time. This is when boomers and Gen X were in the workforce right. as the predominant groups. And they were like, do all the things. And millennials came in and we said, I'm going to have a mental breakdown. Everyone, <laughs> every millennial needs to be in therapy. Um, <laughs> and now we've have Gen Z that's like, hey, how about a fucking work-life balance and pay me a living wage? And we're like, hell yeah, kids, you got this. But anyway, this generation was like, work to the bone or die. Well, the FBI got involved. Shut up. And they told Gabe Newell that it was unlikely they'd ever solve this, as hackers are very good at covering their tracks, and quite frankly, they sucked at finding them. It's 2003, Gabe. What do you want me to do? I can ask Jeeves. I can feed my Neopet. I can... Yeah. <laughs> I can Yahoo search this. Yeah. <laughs> Have you tried Alta Vista game? <laughs> can you imagine an FBI agent going to a video game development group and being like, well, have you checked your emails? <laughs> you know, like doing that condescending. Have you tried turning it off and turning it on again? But it's the FBI because they don't understand cybercrime yet. You're absolutely right, actually. So Shut up. Gabe Newell did almost exactly that. He went to the Internet in a way that very few people can, but Gabe Newell can. And ask the gaming community to hunt this motherfucker down. Stop! He put out a hit? He absolutely did. Oh my god. And technically, within 11 days, they had managed to trace it back to this guy, Axel Gembe, at a time where Facebook wouldn't even be invented for another four months. Oh my god. And while the internet figured out who it was after 11 days, he was really just a name on a list for the FBI at that point. So he's on a post-it in someone's office, like nothing really happened to him? Yeah, so a few months went by and, you know, he was being hunted by the FBI, but he was successfully hiding as he lived in Germany. This is like, catch me if you can, but weird. A little bit. And so after a few months of being hunted, Axel decided to reach out to Gabe Newell personally. Oh my God, that's so punk. I mean, honestly, he was probably getting harassed by the gaming community. Yeah. Can you call off your dogs? I'm sorry. Yeah. And he wanted to explain what he had done, like kind of say like, hey, this was all an accident. I didn't mean to leak your entire game, blah, blah, blah. But he also included proof that it was him by including some internal documents that had never leaked. Oh, my God. You know, kind of like how a serial killer does when they include information about a crime scene to yeah. prove it was them. Yeah, Zodiac did that. Yeah. <laughs> Zodiac released some uh, details about a couple murders to the public in his crazy manifesto letters. The cops were like, yeah, that's definitely him because we did not mention X, Y, Z. So he's Zodiac. Uh-huh. But for Half-Life. Well, then he did the ballsiest thing a motherfucker can do. From there? That wasn't the ballsiest thing, doing some Zodiac shit? He asked for a job. No! On the online security team at Valve. Oh my god. And offered to close all the holes that allowed the leak to occur in the first place. What the fuck? And Gabe Newell took a night to think on it, and ultimately accepted his offer. What?! Gabe Newell set up a phone interview since Axel lived in Germany, and in that call, he went into extreme detail about how he accessed Valve's systems and how he can fix the cracks in security for Valve. And the FBI was, of course, listening in. Yeah. And with this full confession, they sent it over to the Germany version of the FBI, <gasps> and they arrested him themselves as hacking is illegal everywhere. <gasps> and he was wanted there for other unrelated hacking crimes anyway. Oh my god. This is why all the hackers now are called anonymous. <laughs> what the fuck? Where is the movie of this? Oh I, my God, right? I would 10 out of 10 watch the shit out of this. This is amazing. 
So Germany isn't quick and speedy with their justice system, and it did take over three years before he went to trial. Mm-hmm. And in that time, he had gotten a real job, worked in cybersecurity, and he really cleaned up his life. So the judge went easy on him and gave him two years probation. Oh. In the end, the version of the game that was leaked, only about 40% ended up in the final version anyway. Oh, wow. Okay. The version that leaked was one they had recently abandoned in favor of a different tone. Oh, okay, cool. So that's great. That's not even like it was the final product. No, I mean, some people really do miss some of the darker stuff that they saw in this preview. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were ultimately very unhappy with what they saw in this leaked version because they were like, holy fuck, you guys weren't halfway done with this game. <laughs> Gabe, you have to move the date back. Yeah, so they were very upset with seeing, like, with how little of the game was actually completed when this leaked. Yeah. But it was because this was an abandoned version of it. It was not intended to be finalized. And it's probably why it didn't have as tight a security on the system to begin with. Because they're like, eh, fuck it. (laughs) We don't care about V1. We're on V2, baby. Oh, my God. I have fucking whiplash from that story, though. That's crazy. Yeah, Half-Life 2 finally released over a year later on November 16th, 2004. Oh, Gabe must have been pissed about that. Well, not too pissed as over 11 million copies (gasps) would go on to be sold. Oh, my God. And it is heralded as not just one of the best sequels ever made. Yeah. But one of the greatest video games of all time. Valve kills it at their number twos. Valve can drop a deuce like no other motherfucker. Portal 2? Killing it. Half-Life 2, killing it. The other stuff, probably good. But hell yeah, Valve. With a Metacritic score of 96 out of 100, <gasps> wow! it holds the official Guinness Book Award for the highest rated shooter ever made. Damn. And at a time where there weren't many Game of the Year awards, <laughs> it won 39. That's my mans right there. Hell yeah, Gordy. Including six BAFTAs. One of them being best game. Hell yeah. Noah North had to be Nathan Drake for like 20 years to get an honorary <laughs> And Dr. Gordon Freeman doesn't say a word and they're like, every award, take it. This is our godfather. And I can say, having played it just in the last, you know, couple months, my God, it holds up. Hell yeah, that's what's up. In so many fucking ways. It is a fantastic game. It is so much fun to play. And I am so excited to tell you all what happens and what a good third act wrap-up for the movie is them at the baftas getting every award and just going fuck you axel right and then you get that little like the the text screen across being like steam went on to become the most important thing that ever happened to pc gaming yeah gabe newell got to punch axel in the face (laughs) that didn't happen that's hyperbole for my movie version yeah (laughs) or like the pam and tommy Hulu miniseries version of this. I think we can do that. Yeah, honestly, the movie would probably go with what they intended to do with Axel's arrest because what the Mm. FBI wanted to do was get him to fly into the United States for an actual interview and then arrest him at the airport like in a fucking movie. Yeah. And then they were like, no, let's just get it so that way when he arrives at the airport in Germany, he'll get arrested. And then the German FBI are like, why are we making this like a fucking movie? We're just going to go to his house. Yeah. (laughs) Or I can fucking drive there, you dramatic bitch. Yeah. So, <laughs> do you know how much it costs to park at the airport? Yeah, that's how that went down. <laughs> that's so good. But yeah, the movie version would absolutely have him like flying into Valve and getting arrested there in the offices. You know? Yeah. No. Totally. I love that. Ah. Oh, okay. Do you want this as an Aaron Sorkin like social network drama, or do you want this as like 
maybe we do a Quentin Tarantino revisionist history version <laughs> where he does get arrested and like very dramatic or what are we talking here? That or get like Martin Scorsese to come back and do like another Wolf of Wall Street type movie. Ooh, I like that. Okay. All right, Goombas. All that being said, let's get into it. Yay, new game. This is Half-Life 2. The game begins with a voiceover from the man in black from the first game. We now refer to as the G-Man. The G-Man? Creepy. Yeah, G-Man is an old-timey gangster slang for government official of unknown origin. So, like, they didn't know if it was FBI, CIA, ATF. So they just kind of labeled them all as G-Men. And that's what this man's name is now. We are in a tunnel of darkness with lights flashing by, and the spectral head of G-Man comes into view as he wakes 27-year-old Dr. Gordon Freeman from his slumber. He's taking a nap. Well, it's not to imply that he was sleeping on the job. It was just after what Gordon did in the first game, he deserved a break. And he did all that hungover shit in the first game. Yeah, he opened a portal to another universe and killed their slave master baby god. So, you know, he, he deserves a quick nap. Again, we need to redo the first game. <laughs> and it has been an indeterminate amount of time since the events at Black Mesa. But we assume he's still 27. Yeah, he's been in like a stasis. And that's actually in real life, too. Nobody's really sure how long it's been. Oh, okay. Kind of the debate is between 10 and 20 years. <gasps> most people rest on about 20 years later. Oh, shit. The G-Man hasn't needed you since then, but the time has come once again for a job only Dr. Gordon Freeman can do. Wakey, wakey. And the world fades in around you and the G-Man fades away and you find yourself on a tram on the way into work. He's going to have a tramtastic day. Hell yeah. I love that Half-Life 1 opens with a 20-minute tram ride. <laughs> it's so fucking long. Like, it is some Universal Studio Tours version of the tram ride. It really is. Is he alone on the tram again? He's not, actually. There are two other people on there. And oh. one of them just kind of looks over and is like, huh, I didn't notice you before. Oh, well. Dude! <laughs> There's only a couple people on the tram. You do a quick scan. One, for puke. Two, for anyone who might hurt you. Like, he is bad at using public transit. He really is. And you are going to see the G-Man again throughout the rest of the game. He kind of, the same way you did the first game where he's off in the distance. Mm. He's kind of always watching you. Yeah. Well, this time, the tram is not underground. And we're actually going through, like, a train yard. Oh, very cool. And we're not on our way to work either. Because <laughs> we got a new job, baby. We do. And, and we also burned down our last job. It's fine. We did burn down our last place of employment. This time, though, it's a very short ride. And we arrive in a train station and we are welcomed to City 17, one of the last urban communities in the world. Oh, that's bad. That's that's real bad. Something terrible happened. Shit's gone tits up since the events at Black Mesa. Yeah, clearly. I mean, you did burn it down. A giant TV screen plays a message, and it's from the leader of the city, a man named Dr. Wallace Breen. Wallace Breen? And he's nothing extraordinary looking. He's just an old white man with, like, short gray hair and a short gray beard. Mm-hmm. And as we move through the train station, there are a bunch of military personnel kind of harassing everyone passing by. All the while, Dr. Breen welcomes you to the safest city in the world. <laughs> oh, this is bad. Where he has set up his citadel in the city center as his base of global operations. He mentions that the city and the citadel itself are provided by our, quote, benefactors. There's no way this is a good thing. No. No, it's <laughs> going to get much worse before it ever gets better. Okay. And you work your way through some security checkpoints, and you meet some of the NPCs the game will have to offer. And the NPCs in this game 
received some serious upgrades. Okay, yeah, because in Half-Life 1, it's really the Colonel, who looks like Colonel Sanders. Yep. And one other guy that kind of looks like Tony Shalhoub, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Tony Hale, you actually said. I said Tony Hale? <laughs> yeah, you said Tony Hale. I apologize, I got my Tonys mixed <laughs> up. Go on. It's okay. Basically, the first game had two white doctors and one black doctor, but they just kind of kept using them over and over and over again. <laughs> it was a different time, guys. Yeah, they swapped using three character models for the entire game for every character getting their own face. Hell yeah. But they compromised by only having three people voice every character. There it is. Honestly, it was more than three. Like, every named character gets their own actor. Yeah, but all the NPCs, they're like, it's a nice day out. <laughs> yeah, unnamed characters have one actor for each category. So it's like military guys. That's all one voice. Yeah. All male citizens one. All women are the same because there's women now. There's women now? Hell yeah. Yeah, we finally have women. I just remember being really mad at the first Half-Life because I was like, how the fuck are you running a science facility and there's not a single Asian person there? Right. <laughs> Go McFuck yourselves. <laughs> That's bullshit. And there are some aliens that can speak English as well and they all have the same voice. All right, so there's aliens. Got it. Got it. Bearing the lead a little bit. But hey, everybody has their own face now. Yay. <laughs> well, you are fully unequipped and weaponless, and you are going through these security checkpoints, getting shoved and even hit by some of the security forces. Oh, damn. And you eventually get flagged by some computer system, and you are taken to a side room by one of the security guards. You never want to be taken into a side room. Absolutely not, because when you walk into this interrogation room, there's blood on the walls, <gasps> on oh. the floors, and there's like a dentist chair in the center. Jesus Christ! Which is always the most terrifying version of a chair right yeah the guards say they're gonna need the cameras off for this one. Oh my god you're gonna die and he powers them down and turns to you and removes his helmet and he looks to you and goes now about that beer i owe you <gasps> who is this man he says it's me gordon barney from black mesa barney so in our first half-life episode i briefly mentioned there was a spin-off game where he plays one of the security guards during the events of the first game uh-huh and he helps out gordon from behind the scenes okay Barney is that character from that game. Oh, hell yeah. He tells you that he's been working undercover with the local security forces so he could help out people such as Gordon should they get caught. Wow. He punches some buttons on a computer and an angry scientist appears on the monitor. He's pissed off at Barney for interrupting his experiment. <laughs> now, remember when I said everyone has a new face in this game? Yeah. This face, and especially his voice, is very familiar to any Half-Life 1 fan as he is the face of one-third and voice of two-thirds of all the doctors in the first game. <laughs> is this the Colonel or is this Tony or is this the third guy? It's the old white doctor. Colonel. Colonel, yeah. And his name is Dr. Kleiner. Dr. Kleiner. And he forgives Barney for interrupting as soon as he realizes that the great Dr. Gordon Freeman is there. Oh, they're like, we're having a little reunion. Yeah, he expected more warning of your arrival, but no mind, they need you to get to Dr. Kleiner's lab. And they can't think of a safe way to get you there, but Dr. Kleiner says someone named Alex should be nearby and she can help you. Barney tells you to head out towards the city center and that he'll have Alex find you. He lets you out past the security checkpoints, but you're still in an area heavily under guard. They just don't know they're supposed to be looking for you. Gotcha. This serves as some tutorial as you're taught how to pick shit up off the ground, like a guard throws some trash down on the ground and he makes you pick it up. Because you still have no weapons, so trying to fuck with them is not wise, because they can kill you. Oh shit, just immediately. Just immediately. They've got like cattle prods that they'll just beat you with. Ooh. 
All the while, Dr. Breen is filling in about, about the world by reading some fan mail that he's received. Oh my god, what a dork. Through it, we find out these benefactors he was talking about are called the Combine. We also find out that they have put down a suppression field across the planet that is preventing any humans from breeding. What? There's a sterilization dome? There's a sterilization field. Yeah, that's actually what they call it. Are we fighting to let the world fuck? Is that the oppressor here? Kind of. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a lot that they're, they've got to fight kind of the combine to start with so that way they can retroactively get rid of that suppression field. This forced sterilization shit is literally Nazi shit. So we're in this kind of a bit of a Five Nights at Freddy's situation here. Oh, no. Because we like to joke that there's no Half-Life 3 and that Valve can't finish shit. Yeah. Honestly, there's something like 12 to 15 canonical games in the Half-Life universe. Oh. They're just across different mods, expansions, and platforms. Gotcha. This next part I'm going to explain only gets the, like, the briefest of mentions in this game. Kind of like how Obi-Wan offhandedly mentions the Clone Wars in the first Star Wars movie. <laughs> and then we got a whole ass Clone Wars. Yeah. So there was an event called the Seven Hour War. It took place a couple of days after the events of Half-Life 1, which means Gordon was in stasis. The portal Gordon opened in the first game was believed to be under control by Black Mesa. They wanted to study the alien world of Zen now that Gordon had defeated their baby god that had been enslaving the people of that world. Right. Enter the Combine, who were a conquering alien race that wanted to conquer Zen once they heard the baby god was defeated. Completely unrelated to anything else Black Mesa was doing. Just opportunists. Yeah, kind of like uh, Thanos going through just wiping out entire, well, half of people. Half-life, yes. Yes. <laughs> Go on, I understand the thematic correlation. When they got to Zen, they saw this portal open to Earth, and they saw a new life form to conquer. So they quickly overpowered Zen, came to Earth, and they managed to wipe out a couple billion people in a matter of seven hours. Oh my god! Wait, straight up Thanos. Yeah. Oh shit. Dr. Wallace Breen was the head admin at Black Mesa, which was the epicenter for the portal to Zen, and he had managed to learn some of the language from the dominant life forms called the Vortigaunts, who were shown very, very briefly in the finale of Half-Life 1, Okay. and negotiated a peace deal with the Combine. He learned alien. He started speaking alien well enough to uh, basically do some hostage negotiation shit for the rest of humanity. Well, in exchange for their lives, he offered the human race as their servants. Oh, no. I don't think that's all his fault. I think he was looking at down the barrel of a gun and said, is a life under suppression better than death? Well, it's been nearly 20 years since humans have been able to breed, so there are no children. Ugh. And it's clear the Combine are just kind of opting for a slow death of the human race instead of an instant eradication. It's weird that they're like, we will be your slaves, and they're like, yeah, but don't make more of you. <laughs> like, you could potentially have a labor force if you let them breed, but they're like, no, no, that's too good for you. Well, they give humans a little bit of hope as they're told their work and dedication to the Combine will lead to their eternal life. That's death. That's death. Baby, yeah. it's not happening. <laughs> that doesn't sound like anything That's, relevant to this world. That sounds like an MLM. <laughs> or any religion. Yeah. <laughs> if you sell enough leggings, you will be the chosen one. 
Well, the remaining humans were rounded up into locked-down cities, fascism took over, Dr. Breen got a nice spot at the top as the administrator of Earth. And he gets fan mail for this? Yeah, he calls it fan mail, but they're all, like, asking, like, when am I going to be allowed to fuck again? Oh. <laughs> okay, that's accurate. <laughs> and now he lives in the building he told us about earlier, the Citadel, here in City 17, where 27-year-old Dr. Gordon Freeman is trying to enter. So you exit the security building and find yourself in a city square. Buildings surrounding the area, and you are greeted by a person who is expecting you, and they are going to guide you to Alex. You go through some abandoned buildings, seeing refugees and rebels hiding out in blown-out apartments, and it reminded me of the world in that movie Children of Men, mm. which is oddly another story where nobody has had children in nearly 20 years. Right. Civil Protection, which is the name of the security force, discovers the building as a rebel hideout, and they start raiding the place. And people start ushering you through rooms and secret closets and out windows and across rooftops, and you're still completely unarmed. Ugh. And the whole time, civil protection is after you, chasing you with batons, shooting guns at you, and they're kind of like the bobbies in We Happy Few. Oh no. They manage to corner you and start whooping the shit out of you. Oh shit. And you fall to the ground, and the screen goes black. Right. You've been asleep for a long time. You just woke up. Everything's bad. <laughs> Your muscles are atrophied. Yeah, like in a Kill Bill where she gets up out of the coma and she's like, oh no, my legs don't work. Yeah, wiggle your big toe. Yeah. But you're not dead. You're just down and you hear the sound of a fight occurring and bodies falling to the ground around you. And when you come to a young, early 20-something Rosario Dawson looking woman is standing over you trying to wake you up. When you finally awake, she pulls a Dr. Freeman, I presume. Oh, that's cool. She's badass as fuck. <laughs> Hell yeah. She tells you the combine are slow, but you two need to move. And on your way through some back tunnels and hidden doors, she introduces herself as Alex Vance. I love her already. Alex Vance, Vance Salvation. And she is the daughter of Dr. Eli Vance, who she says you worked with at Black Mesa as well. Oh, <laughs> it really is just a reunion. I love it. Yeah, she and her group run a kind of underground railroad that helps people escape the city and out into the wild where they may be able to find a chance at independence and freedom. Oh, very cool. You two make it to Dr. Kleiner's office, and he has his head in a dog crate, and he's shouting, Lamar, Lamar, where is that little rascal gone off to? <laughs> when he realizes the Dr. Gordon Freeman is there, he dances with glee. Sounds adorable. Everybody is so excited to see Gordon Freeman still. Like in the first game, we made fun of it where we're like, yeah, we're excited to see him because we know he's kind of a guinea pig. So we need to amp him up. And now they're like, no, this is the savior of humanity. He killed the baby god. <laughs> this guy's fucking awesome. And then Barney shows up as well. And he's like, damn, Gordon, you really pissed off everybody in civil protection already. And Gordon says nothing because he never does. Never does. Barney tells Dr. Kleiner they need to get you out fast as they're coming for Gordon. Hard. Oh, shit. Dr. Kleiner says it's the perfect opportunity to test his teleporting two people in succession. Oh, my God. And Barney asks if all the kinks have been worked out because he still has nightmares about what happened to that cat. What the fuck? <laughs> See, there's that Valve humor of I'm going to say something dark as shit, but it's going to be funny and it's not going to be doing the most. It's not particularly crass. It's just dark. Yeah, through this whole next part, Alex feels very much the same way because she's going, uh, what cat? Guys, what, what cat are you talking about? <laughs> and Dr. Kleiner just ignores Alex and keeps barreling through, saying the teleporter's fine. 
Stop asking about the cat. And Barney asks Dr. Kleiner if he can give Gordon his gift yet, since he can't go out essentially in slave attire. Uh-oh. And a door opens, and Barney goes inside. And there is Dr. Gordon Freeman's old biohazard suit from the first game. Oh, does he get a suit up moment? Well, Barney is so excited to present it to him, he doesn't notice the head crab flying at his face. Are you fucking kidding me? Immediately? As it latches onto him. Just immediately. And Dr. Kleiner yells, Lamar, down boy. What? And Barney manages to throw the head crab off him and he kicks it across the room. Lamar's a head crab? So Dr. Kleiner says not to worry. He's been defanged, so he can't actually do anything anymore. <laughs> what the fuck has happened in the last 20 years? It is such a great, like, fucking moment because you really do expect, like, God damn it, Barney. <laughs> yeah, that, my knee-jerk reaction was cool. Barney was fun, but that sucked. Yeah, he survived so much to just get killed presenting the suit. Nope, Lamar is a pet. And they've defanged him the way, like, weirdos declaw their cats yep. like nah it's fine now he's neutered <laughs> nope lamar is dr kleiner's pet head crab oh my god then lamar runs off and into an air vent just scuttles into an air vent he does and dr kleiner's like god damn it i'm not gonna see him for another month now <laughs> what a scamp well you finally put on your suit and that classic valve song comes on Oh. It's like that moment in Breaking Bad when the theme song like starts playing out of nowhere in mm -hmm. episode. It's very much like that. And Gordon like flexes his hands and his fingers and he's ready to get into some shit. Totally had a suit up moment. I love it. Yeah, he got a suit up moment. You make your way into the teleportation room and it's a platform where once you stand on it, the sides kind of come together and form a ring around the person. Ooh. And Alex just kind of hops right up into it already forgetting about the cat Barney has nightmares about. <laughs> She's like, ah, worse shit has happened. And Dr. Kleiner calls the lab where you're going to be teleporting to, and we are greeted to another familiar face and voice, as they were the face and voice of another third of all the characters of the first game. <laughs> the one, but also many, black scientists. Yay! And it's Dr. Eli Vance, Alex's dad. Hi, Dr. Eli Vance. And he is pissing himself seeing Gordon Freeman and says he is ready oh. to receive you. Oh. Yeah, Alex can come too, I guess. <laughs> Clearly his favorite child is Dr. Gordon <laughs> Freeman and not Alex. This is fucking Stan's dad. I was just gonna going to say my favorite kid is here. And then pushes his son away and hugs new kid. Yeah. Entirely. <laughs> Dr. Kleiner fires up the machine and the platform lifts in the air and electricity is sparking and the rings start flying around Alex and it shorts out and stops working. Oh, fuck. And Alex points out the plug came out, and she asks Gordon to plug it back in. Hey, dipshit, it's unplugged. And Gordon picks up the plug, and we are treated to something that makes gamers go crazy. Oh? Rope physics. Oh, my God. Yes, the plug has rope physics like you've never seen before. Does it wiggle? Honestly, it looks every bit as good as Last of Us 2. <laughs> if not better. But it was done 20 years before. <laughs> and I will still never understand why everybody went apeshit over The Last of Us 2's rope physics. Because you're like, this is fine. It looks no different in Half-Life 2. I promise you. <laughs> well, you get it powered back up and Barney goes, I can't look. And Alex is like, oh shit, that's right. Uh, what happened to that cat? <laughs> and then she starts screaming a blood-curdling scream. Oh my god. And she disappears. Dr. Kleiner asks Eli if it worked, and Alex just kind of pops into frame like, what's up, Doc? Oh, shit. All right. So it was cool. 
Yeah, and for a girl who grew up without pop culture, she makes a lot of pop culture references. <laughs> now it's Gordon's turn, and you get in, and they fire it up, and just before you teleport, Lamar the Head Crab comes falling through the air vent, and he jumps at you just as the machine activates. Oh, are you going to turn into like a fly situation where you mold with it? No, this actually leads into a series of quick flashes. You and Lamar are in a desert, and there are crows, and Lamar goes to attack them. Flash! You're back in the lab, and they're panicking. Flash! You're looking at Alex and her dad in his lab, and they're panicking. Flash! You're in Dr. Breen's office, and he sees you and is like, what the fuck are you doing here? And you're panicking. Flash! Back in the lab. Flash! Back with Alex. Flash! Back in Dr. Breen's office, and he's on the phone with someone, and he says, I'm certain he was right here, and it was Dr. Gordon Freeman. Flash! <laughs> We're underwater, sinking to the bottom. Giant fish opens its mouth wide to eat you. What the fuck? Flash! We're outside Dr. Kleiner's lab, looking in through a window, and we're positioned, like, over his shoulder, looking at the teleporter, and he's still panicking, wondering where the fuck you just went. And Eli, who's on the computer monitor, says he can see you standing outside behind him and to shut off the machine. <coughs> and Dr. Kleiner tells you to get out of there and to stay safe, and Barney's gonna meet you. So you're finally free of the binds of the teleporter, and you're a whopping 30 feet from where you started. <laughs> Are you, is Lamar with you still? No, Lamar's gone. He's left out in the desert. He, he ran after those crows and just dipped out of the like radius of the transporter. He did. And actually, when you like flash back into the teleportation room, fucking Dr. Kleiner is like, where's Lamar? <laughs> <laughs> That's his only concern, having just watched everything going wrong. That was my question, too. So I get it. <laughs> Well, you make your way through some alleys and stuff, and you meet up with Barney, and he warns you that you're being hunted and gives you directions on how to make it to Eli's lab in a place called Black Mesa East on foot. Before you head off, he says, oh, and I think you may have dropped this back at Black Mesa. And he gives you your crowbar. Yay! Oh, does it look like the same crowbar as the first one? Oh, absolutely it does. <laughs> it's a perfect crowbar. These guys are weirdly like dicks out for Gordon Freeman the way I am which like admittedly fair but they hold him in such reverence oh and, in such high regard yeah they idolize him and they're like these are his artifacts like <laughs> that's fascinating well you use your crowbar to crack the skulls of some asshole guards who kill a husband in front of his wife oh and then you take their gun and kill all their friends hell yeah as you make your way through more tunnels and meet more people that are part of this underground railroad, you are not only meeting human refugees, but alien ones as well. Oh, shit. And these were those Vortigaunts that we were talking about. And the Vortigaunts are a bipedal race of alien from Zen, and we talked about them in the first one as looking like the aliens from uh, District 9 a little bit. Okay. But they have, like, one big eye instead of two eyes. It's funny that there's head crabs and there's the prawns from District 9. <laughs> there's some shellfish going on in we the just, alien world. Yeah, we just came from underwater where a fish was going to attack us. Yeah, there's something there. Yeah, they're that race that you saved by defeating the baby god in the first game. Baby God. And they have a reverence for you that is like beyond even what the humans have for you because you're the savior of their entire race. He's our liberator. And they call you the free man. Oh, I get it. That's cute. Right. It's pretty good. As you go through these tunnels, though, one guy tells you they're going to have to shut down these tunnels because whoever the poor bastard they're chasing is really fucked. Good thing you're not him, right? You're like, huh, great. Uh. This is why I'm quiet. <laughs> 
And since the Combine and Civil Protection work together, they play dirty tricks like sending headcrabs after you and shit. You eventually make it to a woman who has a swamp boat for you, and it's one of those ones with a giant fan on the back. Oh, shit, yeah. And you need to use the boat to go through the next section as it goes through some waterways, and the water gets deep. Sometimes it's toxic or has bombs, all sorts of goodies. You know, just water bombs. Yeah, and this is where I really started to pick up on the gameplay mechanics that kind of define Valve as a game maker. Oh, okay. Because they are puzzle producers and map makers. Yeah. Yes, the gunplay is fun and well done, but... This game is every bit a puzzle and maze solver as it is a first-person shooter. Oh, very fun. And at the end of the day, if the choice for something like a game mechanic or a puzzle is between either fun or realistic, you'll choose fun every single time. Hell yeah, I love that. Yeah, even if it doesn't make sense or has the potential to break the game, they're like, no, that's fun. Gabe would be a master at escape rooms, huh? Probably, yeah. Can you imagine? Or a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) or just the worst person who's like this should work (laughs) (laughs) who do you think would win in escape rooms as a team the group from aperture the group from black mesa they would just be shit talking each other too much to ever complete it (laughs) they'd be too busy being like those overpaid underachievers over at black mesa and they'd be like those fucking grasshopper worshiping lunatics over at aperture (laughs) yeah okay fair enough and they're both still just fighting over a de-icing machine Salt. The answer is salt. Go on. And because of this like maze and puzzle solving, there are stretches of this game that have like two hours of straight gameplay between anything that even has to do a story. Oh, that's cool. So it's not always perfect, but it is always fun. Love that. That's what a game should be, though. You know, like there are these games like What Remains of Edith Finch where it elicits a response because they're going for the argument that video games are art. Right. And I get that. I understand the place for it. I want to have fun when I play a video game. I want to shoot something. I want to feel satisfied. I want to feel clever that I figured something out. I love that. Yeah, entirely. Well, even though we're no longer in the city proper, we are still treated to Dr. Breen's propaganda videos playing everywhere we go. <laughs> Another we happy few alignment of just <laughs> Happy Jack showing up on the TV and on the phones just being like, all right, guys, keep taking your drugs. Yeah, very much that or Big Brother or something like that. Yeah. These are referred to as Breencasts. Breencasts, fuck off. In these Breencasts, he's making fun of Gordon Freeman and he's saying he's bad for what he did at Black Mesa in order to kind of paint him as someone not worth deifying. Okay. Because one of the nicknames people have given him is the one free man, the opener of the way. And he offers things like money and power to those that turn him in. Mm, Yeah, people should be weary of that. Yeah, instead of turning you in, you just keep getting more and more help as you make your way to Black Mesa East. You're like, hell yeah, fuck that guy. (laughs) Yeah, you need it because you get attack choppers on your ass as civil protection pulls no punches. Oh, damn. You finally make it to Black Mesa East and you have to go through some good guy security to go through. What's a good guy security? You're at the good guy base, but you still have to kind of go through a security checkpoint to prove who you are. Okay, they're not like, here's a line for good boys and here's a line for bad boys. Yeah, no, it's just security for the good guys. Gotcha. And a woman by the name of Dr. Judith Mossman checks you in and is amazed to meet the famous Dr. Gordon Freeman. I love that everyone's just sucking his dick like, oh my God, it's Dr. Freeman. And he's just like, nodding stoically well she goes full-blown hipster and she's like i knew about you since before black mesa 
Oh my god. I saw you at a party at ASU. You were doing a keg stand and I just love the way your glasses fell off and got crushed by a different guy. I think you're so hot. Yeah, she was dating Dr. Ratman at the time. <laughs> <laughs> my boyfriend realized he was schizophrenic, so... <laughs> Well, she's jealous that you got to work with Doctors Kleiner and Vance when they were at the top of their game. What a name dropper. Oh, yeah. Well, she's already working with Dr. Vance now. So as she takes you to see Dr. Eli Vance, she fills you in on their advancements on teleportation technology. The Combine's teleportation to Earth ended up being one way. Oh. And they're not from the same universe. So they can't just fly to Earth from Zen to pick them up. Yeah, they're in a different plane. Black Mesa never figured out how to, like, maintain control of the portals to Zen. They just used the open doorway when it would present itself to them, but that was all destroyed during the Seven Hour War. Mm. She and Eli are working on Earth-based teleportation first. They think that once they figure that out, they can focus on teleportation back out, and they believe the Combine will just leave if they have a way out. Yeah, because they're kind of like, well, we're stuck here. We can't overpower, but we might as well just hang out. And the concept is if we figure this out on a small scale, we can figure it out on a larger scale. Yeah, or they'll force the combine out if they won't leave. Just kick them out of the door. Push them. You get to Eli, and he's amazed that you haven't aged a day. Because <laughs> he's 27 years old. Honestly, though, from looking at content from this... Gordo looks fucking terrible. Oh, yeah. He looks like he aged. He looks rough. Like, they did not moisturize him while he was in stasis. That was a dry <laughs> spot, honey. His skin is looking bad. He doesn't look 27 anymore. No. Well, Dr. Mossman takes her leave, and Eli says he can't wait to have you running a lab again like the old days. Oh. He also reveals that Dr. Mossman and you were up for the same job at Black Mesa. Oh, shit. But you edged her out with your family connections. <gasps> Ooh. So the nepotism is yeah. showing. That that wasn't dropped in the first game, was no, it? No, not at all. Oh, so she's a little bitter. That's why she's like, I've been knowing you. <laughs> yeah, that's why she knew who he was before the Black Mesa incident. That's trash. Well, Alex shows up and her dad immediately tries to pimp her out to you. Stop. Tell me everything. Well, she resists it. She's just like, Dad, stop. Like, I'm not dating your weird work buddy, Dad. No. And while you're working in the lab with Alex and her dad, Dr. Mossman returns, and she and Alex clearly have like a whole stepmom-stepdaughter relationship going, and they do not agree or get along about fucking anything. Mossman just seems like she's holding a lot of bitterness, though. You know, like, I get you, yeah. There, there seems to be some energy coming from her. Like, she's seriously got a chip on her shoulder at the very least. And Alex is just kind of a scrappy science rebel. Yeah, she grew up in a hard world. Yeah, totally. And Alex's dad is like, honey, why don't you take Gordon outside and show him the gravity gun just to kind of stop their bickering? And also, there's a gravity gun. Oh, yes, there is. And as you head outside, you pass a tunnel, and Alex stops and says, that leads to Raven home. We don't go there anymore. And you continue on your way. <laughs> it probably isn't foreshadowing. Yeah, you know you're going to be going there very shortly. <laughs> you get outside and she introduces you to the weapon that becomes even more iconic to Gordon Freeman than the crowbar. Oh, the gravity so gun. Oh, the gravity gun is so great. <laughs> this gun is why they made this game. Yeah? Yeah, it's 
got a big round cylindrical body that glows bright orange not the end of the cylinder these three claw-like appendages and then the back half of it being more like a phaser from star trek and that it can be held one-handed despite looking like a two-handed weapon cool and i kind of glossed over this part in the introduction in order to talk about it more here the gravity gun was part of that physics demo they showcased that made the half-life 2 team say dibs and became the push they needed to begin building out the story I'm literally in the middle of telling. <laughs> They're like, can you imagine what we could do with that shit? Let's go. Yeah. Is that the gun that shows up in Free Guy? Yeah, that's the gun that ends up in Free Guy. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Spoilers for Free Guy, which <laughs> is a delightful movie. And I think it's on HBO Max, but they do a, a straight up portal gun. And then there's mm -hmm. one sequence where this gun came up and you were like, hell yeah. <laughs> it's so exciting to see. You got so stoked. Yeah, the, the gravity gun's fucking awesome. This thing was just outrageous. Love that. Alex says they mainly use it for picking up heavy shit and tells you to give it a try. <laughs> we just use it practically, and Gordon's like, I'm gonna fuck some shit up with this. Well, what the gun allows you to do is pick up just about anything two people could reasonably lift together. Okay. Oh, this would be so good for moving furniture. Yeah, there are some limitations, like you can't pick up people or aliens and toss them about. Boo. And you can't rip something that's like mounted to a wall out of the wall. Boo. It can also attract things from far away and pull them to you. Ooh. And it keeps the item floating like just out in front of you. That's cool. And then what you can also do is repel that item away from you with a force of kind of opposite gravity launching the item far away. Nice. Alex uses it to clear minefields. Yeah, there you go. Makes sense. She says she's going to call Dog so Gordon can play fetch with him using the gravity gun. Oh. And she calls Dog, and in the distance, we see a doghouse, and out comes a giant lumbering robot. And its name is Dog. And its name is Dog. And it lives in a doghouse. It stands at about seven feet tall. Oh, Jesus Christ. And it runs like a gorilla with, like, long arms helping to propel it forward. Oh, my God. And it's got this, like, tiny little head. It's kind of like the Hulkbuster, like, outfit, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, this thing is Dog. Oh, I love dog. Alex explains it started as actually a very little robot about knee height that her dad got her in order to protect her. What, did he grow? Well, she kept adding upgrades to it. Oh! <laughs> and so, yeah, now it is the monster that you see before you today. She just keeps being like, well, let's extend this. And now he's seven feet tall. It's a much harder world, too. So she just needs extra protection. I love that. And Dog throws things at you that you have to catch with the gravity gun because you're the one that's actually playing catch. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, he throws like boxes, tires, and even a washing machine. <laughs> and then he throws a dumpster and Alex is like, no, <laughs> that's too big. Hey, buddy. And your fun is stopped when a combine search ship flies overhead and starts bombing the once hidden Black Mesa East. Oh, no. And the three of you run into a room for safety and a TV monitor comes on with Eli on it. And he tells you to get the hell out and run to safety. Hell yeah. But whatever you do, don't go to Ravenhook. And he cuts out. It's probably not foreshadowing. And you run through the tunnels and walls come down, cutting off Alex from you and Dog. And she yells through the rubble to go through the Ravenholm tunnel and try to connect while she goes to help her dad. And you never do connect. And you get separated from Dog. And you end up in Ravenholm, of course. Obviously. And you can see why we don't go to Ravenholm anymore. Because it is the set of a horror movie. Oh, shit. Like, more so than we've already... I guess this has been a dystopian drama, and now we're in just a straight-up horror movie. Yeah, you go into a shack at one point, and there's, like, a huge-ass saw blade embedded into the wall. Oh, 
so like a cheesy horror movie too. Yeah, on the top half of the saw blade is the upper torso of a man. Oh my god. Yeah, and then underneath it is the collapsed bottom half of the torso. We're going to see something similar to that next week's episode. Oh, goody. Just throwing that out there. You know what I'm talking oh, about, Oh, I do. Too. I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. And head crabs have taken over most of the people here, and the zombie-like creatures they become are everywhere. Oh, no. And as much credit as I'll give this game for changing the appearance of so many creatures and characters, this is the one they chose not to change at all. The head crabs? No, not just the head crabs. Actually, we get different species of head crab in this game. Oh, they've evolved. Yeah, we get multiple different versions of the head crab. But the zombified people are still doctors in fucking lab coats. No, so that one they were like, uh-uh, fuck that shit. We gotta turn this shit around. We gotta get this shit out by September 30th. Just render that shit. Let's go. It's the only thing that they kind of skimped on, honestly. Oh. And Ravenholm is just chaos. Yeah, They're- just... Full fucking lunacy. Yeah, there's burning buildings, piles of burning bodies, heads on spikes, blood rivers in the streets. It's fucking madness. You just said blood rivers. Jesus Christ. And you can experiment a lot with a gravity gun here, though, which is kind of nice. So, like, you can throw exploding barrels. Yeah. One of those saw blades you saw earlier, you can pick those up and, like, launch them at people. Oh, shit. You can throw bricks and shit. It's really awesome. Eventually, you see a man up above you, standing on a balcony, shooting the creatures below. And his name is Father Gregory. Father Gregory. He's surprised to see someone alive, and he says he'll help as much as he can, but no promises. And he kind of, like, has your back from afar as you work your way around here. Okay, so he's, like, sniping from the roof to help clear the path for you? Yeah, and he sounds like Jamba from Lilo and Stitch, the evil genius that created Stitch. Oh, cute. And he has traps set up all over the place. He says you're welcome to use. Like one is a lawnmower blade that like is positioned at waist height and it just kind of spins around and it'll just chop up zombies. It's fucking cool. Oh, that's great. As you make your way through the town solving puzzles and mazes, he keeps popping up from time to time to point you in the right direction. And eventually he gives you a shotgun and tells you to meet him at a nearby church and also aim for the head. (laughs) Always aim for the head. And you meet up at the church, and he agrees to take you to the mines that will get you back on track to meet up with Alex. He says he must stay behind to help end the suffering of the people that were once part of his church. Oh, honey, that's so sad. Yeah, he sends you off into the mines while he gets surrounded by zombie creatures, and just he starts laughing hysterically, shooting his way out. Because he knows it's the end, too, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I don't know. He could probably survive. Okay. Father Gregory's pretty badass. All right. After you make it out of the mines, you find a group of rebels, and they say they've heard from Alex, and they agree to help you reach out to her. They say Eli got taken by civil protection, and she needs you to get to a place called Nova Prospect, the base for civil protection. The head of the group says there are too many creatures called an antlion between here and there, and that Gordon will never make it. Antlion! Alex tells him to give you a car that her dad had left with them a while back, and he agrees to make sure it's weaponized. Alex says she'll meet you at Nova Prospect. The car is less a car and more a dune buggy or go-kart. Okay, because, <laughs> you know, dystopian. Yeah, and you get out into the open land, and those antlion creatures they mentioned are literally just those insect creatures from Starship Troopers. Oh no, the bugs! Yeah, except they're about hog-sized and not those gigantic ones. Nope, 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 I hate that. I do like that in the portal world, uh, Cave Johnson was experimenting with weaponizing grasshoppers, and in this one... We're getting something similar (laughs) where there's like weaponized evil 
bugs. Yeah, right. He probably just ported them over to Zen, and then that's why they. Uh, <laughs> that's why they didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> if there's a group of lost astronauts here too, like, <laughs> someone put that together. I'd like to think that there's some Easter eggs there. This was my least favorite portion of the game, as they were like being innovative at the time, but by today's standards, it's kind of weak. Okay, <laughs> you're spoiled from more modern games. Yeah, they tried to do an open map, and while they made a big fucking map, they left it kind of empty. Oh, okay. So it's like, all right, you drew a lot, but there's no meat. Yeah, it's post-apocalyptic, so I guess it's supposed to be barren, but there's just long stretches of driving with nothing happening. Mm. Again, you know, they make puzzles. They make maps. That's what they do first. And this is one of those sections that has, like, hours of gameplay in between scenes of story. But eventually, you do get to a rebel base, and they tell you that the Combine have identified your car and are looking for it, so you need to ditch it and go on foot. Problem being, there are still a fuck ton of those antlions between here and there. Oh no. And then you get into a fight with a much larger antlion, like this one's actually the size from Starship Troopers. Oh shit, the daddy. And after it's dead, one of the Vortigaunt refugee aliens helps you extract a pheromone pod from it after you kill it. He says it will keep you protected against them attacking you now. Oh, so you get one of those like scent covers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's weird. Well, in fact, because you have the pod on your person, they'll obey your every command. <sighs> See, that feels like a jump. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to knock it because this game is so highly revered. I haven't played it, so I can't speak, but... Mm. I mean, the last game they had you install an alien arm to your own in order to use it. So District 9. Yeah. Okay. This is just a little ball <laughs> that you squeeze and it makes all the antlions come to you. Anyway. Okay. He takes you to another rebel group and they say you're almost to Nova Prospect and they teach you that if you throw a pod at an enemy, they'll get swarmed by antlions. Oh, that's kind of cool at least. And so a person going in alone would have no hope, but a person with a pack of wild antlions at his command? Yeah. Should be a cakewalk. That's actually pretty cool. And you unleash your horde of antlions on little military outposts as you make your way closer to Nova Prospect. Is it so satisfying? Oh, yeah. And they like those little bunkers that you see in old World War II movies, and you yeah. have to empty each one out of enemies. Yeah, it's fucking great. That sounds perfect. And in one, you find a video monitor of Dr. Breen torturing a soldier. Oh. He's asking, how is it possible they have failed to capture useless-ass Gordon Freeman? Useless-ass Gordon Freeman. <laughs> so he's, like, shit-talking him while he's like, why the fuck is this guy still running around my city? Yeah, he's like, he's not a secret agent or a highly trained assassin. He's an ASU alumni. <laughs> he was last in his class at MIT in theoretical physics. Oh, I'm sorry. He went to MIT. My bad. I just, my dumbass is like, he's a frat boy from ASU. <laughs> no, but he didn't even get real physics. He got his degree in imaginary physics. <laughs> Tom, what's our degree in? <laughs> hey, that's not important here. Okay. <laughs> We're making fun of Dr. Gordon Freeman. How did he get a job if he was last in his class in makeup physics? Because... Family connections. Oh, damn, you're right. Oh, fuck, I already forgot about the nepotism. And they needed a guinea pig. Damn, Gordy. And they're like, he's too dumb to understand what we're doing. <laughs> oh, no, this is really tanking his clout with me. Well, not only that, seeing as he hasn't aged, he was clearly in stasis since Black Mesa and therefore knows nothing about the world he's in. And yet he continues. Brain is reading him to fucking filth. 
And what's great is that his propaganda is clearly working on you literally right now. Fuck! <laughs> Cave Johnson was right. They are overpaid, underqualified. Underachievers. Underachievers. <laughs> Ratman would never have been talked like this. Ratman probably is the guy that beat him out at MIT. Well, this is just a recording because it's playing over and over again. And he's broadcasting it out to every single outlet to show them what he'll do to every one of them if Gordon Freeman isn't stopped. There's a lot of Hunger Games in this. Oh, yeah, right? All these post-apocalyptics, though, you know, they just kind of run with the same themes. Yeah. He even looks like Snow, Dr. Breen. Really? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, shit. You finally make it to Nova Prospect and Alex literally just kind of falls from above and is like, hey, glad you made it. I'm here now. You're in a huge room, and it's reminiscent of the door room from Monsters, Inc. Oh, with all the doors? Yeah, except instead of doors, they're like little metal coffins. Oh, that's terrifying. Just there's nothing that covers the heads, and they're hanging and moving along rails all over the facility. (laughs) And not all, but some have people in them. Oh, that's so creepy. This game is dark as shit. Yeah, Alex says her dad is definitely in one of them somewhere, and the two of you set off to find him. Oh my god. Now, she doesn't have complete information about Nova Prospect, as it's pretty secretive, but she knows enough to get hacked into the security system. Okay, cool. I like that they're also like, we can use hacking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm aware that part of this game came to crumble because of hackers, but good idea. We'll take it. (laughs) Right? Use what you know. Yeah. She finds her dad's pod, and she programs him to be brought to you. And he's brought to a room, but he's still behind like a glass wall. However, you are able to speak to him. And Eli tells you it's hopeless and to get out while you can and to leave him behind. Oh, Eli. Alex says the Combine has gotten along far enough on their teleportation machine that as long as Dr. Kleiner has fixed his side of things, she should be able to teleport us all back to his lab from here. Okay, cool. And Eli tells her it's not worth it, but you know how well kids listen to their parents. Totally. And she's like, shut up, dad. I'm saving your life. He tells you that if you're planning on escaping, we need to find Dr. Mossman as well because she was taken when he was. But she's kind of a bitch. Yeah, Alex is like, ah, fine. Oh, <laughs> Alex <laughs> and I are like, can't she figure her own ride out? So Alex sends her dad's pod to meet up with you both at the Combine teleporter room while the two of you make your way like they're the hard way. And you go to find where they're keeping Dr. Mossman as she's not found in any pods. Hmm. Another hour of puzzles and mazes later, and you and Alex are in a security room, and Alex tells you this is the central security office. From here, she should be able to find where they're keeping Dr. Mossman. So she does like a little control F on Dr. Mossman (laughs) and finds either a recording or a live feed. It's kind of unclear, but she's not imprisoned. She's seen free and pleading with Dr. Breen. Hmm. She says, Dr. Breen promised Dr. Eli Vance wouldn't get hurt, and that he promised to take only Gordon. (gasps) This shady bitch. Dr. Breen says that since Gordon wasn't there, Dr. Vance seemed like a good consolation prize. Ugh, you can't make deals with the enemy. Never. Don't be a fucking rat, Micah. Yeah. She says that if Dr. Breen had just waited for her signal, he would have caught Dr. Gordon Freeman, too. Ugh, what a fucking loser. See, I want to beat the shit out of her now. And she pleads with Dr. Breen again to let Eli out so she can essentially start brainwashing him into her line of thinking. Ugh. And Dr. Breen says he knows Dr. Vance too well and that he'll never change his allegiance. And she's better off just considering him done for. He's like, unlike you, 
Eli has a backbone he and convictions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you are a two-faced rat. Well, Dr. Breen ends their chat and the feed cuts. Ugh. So Alex is fucking pissed. Hell yeah. Stepmom was a bitch after all. Hell yeah. And the two of you manage to find where she's staying and Alex wants to have a word with dear old Dr. Mossman. Is the word death? Because I want to beat her up. Well, she's in a lab, but it's more like a cell than a lab. Mm. And Alex and you go into it to have a chat with her and maybe enlist her help in getting the fuck out of there as the whole facility is on lockdown looking for you. Totally. You talk with Dr. Mossman and she keeps insisting that everything she's done is to protect Eli from harm. Mm-hmm. Alex doesn't believe or trust her. Totally. But she knows she needs her help and tells her about the plan to teleport out of there. Dr. Mossman says she knows where the machine is and agrees to take you there. When you arrive, Alex is pissed to see that it looks damn near identical to the one her dad invented. <laughs> She's like, not only are you a backstabber, you're also just a plagiarist? Like, this is why your ass didn't get that job. Don't blame Gordon's uncle for this shit. You didn't get this shit because you suck. Well, Dr. Mossman's like, no, I just saw this thing three days ago for the first time. I didn't build this. Okay. And Alex doesn't care as her dad's pod just arrived and she's eager to get him to safety. Totally. And he's happy to see this trio of people not knowing Dr. Mossman sucks. He's not caught up. So he's like, hello, my friends. And when he sees the teleporter, his only reaction is that it's smaller than the one that he imagined. Oh. Because it turns out he was actually building his to match this one based on some plans he had stolen a long while back. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so he was actually ripping off the design. <laughs> Doesn't matter, as they put him right into it without any testing whatsoever. And as it powers up, an alarm goes off, and Alex is like, damn, it's the plug again. <laughs> and goes to fix it like the one back at the start of the game how many scientists does it take <laughs> and like i made the joke of did you turn it on and turn it off again <laughs> like, it's literally it you guys so you on. watch her do it and when you turn back dr mossman has jumped into the teleporter with eli who is very confused about what's going on and the two of them disappear Ugh. alex looks at the coordinates dr mossman entered and she doesn't recognize them at all oh she talks with Dr. Kleiner over the radio and decides to regroup back at his lab. And she sets the coordinates and the two of you enter the teleporter. As the machine powers up, the two of you watch as security guards come in looking for you. But they're too late and the two of you vanish and reappear in Dr. Kleiner's lab. Hell yeah. You look around and Dr. Kleiner is nowhere to be seen and the door like into his lab proper is shut. Alex begins to open it and Dr. Kleiner comes running over, shocked to see you. And he says he had given up any hope of ever seeing the two of you again. It's been a week since the teleporter at Nova Prospect exploded after the two of you tried to use it, or at least so he thought. Oh, shit. He says the Combine teleporter must be a very slow teleporter if the two of you have experienced some form of time dilation. <laughs> Trace amounts of time travel. <laughs> oh, my God. It all came back. Cave was right. Alex asked what has happened in the last week, and Dr. Kleiner says, ah, a lot. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. We uh, found the cat. <laughs> well, they found Lamar. Oh, good. The rebels saw the explosion as Alex and Gordon being martyrs to take down Noah Prospect, as it was the headquarters for civil protection. So the rebels have begun an all-out guerrilla warfare with the remaining civil protection members in cities all around the world. Also, Dr. Eli Vance is alive and being held captive at the Citadel at the center of City 17. Oh, God damn it! Dr. Kleiner says Barney already has a plan in motion to get Eli out, and also Dog showed up the other day. Oh, 
Barney calls, and Alex says she'll send you and Dog to him so you can get started with the plan, while she helps Dr. Kleiner pack up his lab to move to another location. Dr. Kleiner really is only concerned with where Lamar has gotten off to. Oh. You head outside, and Civil Protection now has alien weaponry and creatures assisting them in covering the city. And some of these things are as tall as, like, five-story buildings. And it's unclear if they're, like, alive or some kind of tank, as their exteriors kind of look like it could be flesh. Could be flesh. Yeah, it's hard to tell. I hate this. I mean, it's alien technology. Gross. You do get separated from Dog pretty quickly as he takes on a tank single doggedly in order to keep you alive. And as you make your way through the city center, you see signs of the rebellion, such as a group of them tearing down a giant TV with Dr. Breen doing one of his Breen casts. Breen casts is still getting me. (laughs) Of course, you meet up with Alex again, and she says she has Dr. Kleiner safe and that Barney is just up ahead. Outside, you make it to a canal that used to have a bridge across it. You need to get across, so Alex parkours her way up the side of a building. Of course she does. To see if she can find another way across from a higher vantage point. And she points to about 15 feet to Gordon's left, which was easily findable without climbing the building. (laughs) She just wanted to flex. And it's just a path that leads into the canal and out the other side. There you go. And she gets shot while up there. Oh, god damn it. And she tells you to run as she's kind of falls hanging over the ledge and then she gets dragged back up and over by unseen hands. Oh no. You finally meet up with Barney and he takes you to just outside the gates to the Citadel where you have to power down the shield generators keeping people from reaching the Citadel. You know, like in Star Wars. Totally. So you help the rebels proceed through the enemy forces as you need to go that direction anyway. And you help blow up some giant spider-legged tanks which look like the creatures from War of the Worlds. And as a killing blow is about to take you out, Dog shows up and saves the day once again. Oh, hell yeah. Good boy. And he runs around and just kills a fuck ton of soldiers. Good dog. Barney says Dog showed up a little while ago and seems to want to get into the Citadel because it thinks that's where Alex has been taken. Oh. And, like, it's likely Dog and Alex have, like, a tracking device somewhere, like, between the two of them, right? Yeah. And, like, if Dog was brought in to protect Alex, I'm sure there's something wired in with both of them. Yeah. Dog literally rips open a wall into the side of the Citadel, (laughs) just large enough for Gordon to make it through, and Barney parts ways with you once again. Now, you're there in secret, so you're able to get around pretty easily. You're in the hanging coffin hallway with them all zipping around the place, again, some empty, some full. Yeah. And you come to a spot where they are stopping and opening up, and then continuing on to the tracks. Gordon enters one of these pods, and we're strapped in for the next portion and can only look around and listen. So you're, like, on the ride? Literally on rails. You are taken through the facility, and you see emaciated and enslaved humans and vortigaunts being pushed around by an even more elite military force than civil protection called Mm. Overwatch. (gasps) That's the name of a game from Blizzard! (laughs) (laughs) Sorry! I started this sentence and didn't know where to go with it. But how funny would that be if it was like the same symbol and stuff? <laughs> They're like, yeah, it's Winston. Yeah. And then Soldier 76 just pokes him in the back of <laughs> Reaper teleports and appears and is like, I keep throwing my guns. <laughs> Die. Well, they've been working much closer with the Combine than the Civil Protection even have. Well, you know how organized Overwatch is. Right. And they have even more power and protection than the group literally called Civil Protection. Because of the Omnics. Okay, I'm done. Please. Eventually, you're dropped off, and you find yourself in a pit surrounded by big electrical-looking things, and there's no way out up 
down, around, and then you hear a voice say, activate confiscation field. Uh-oh. And you watch all of your weapons get torn away from you by an <gasps> invisible force. Oh, shit. And they all float out in front of you. Even your crowbar? Even your crowbar. One by one, they get zapped by the big electrical-looking things, and they disappear from existence. Oh, shit. Until it hits the final weapon, the gravity gun. Instead of disappearing, it starts glowing and shaking and shooting electricity out all around it. Uh-oh. Now, instead of glowing bright orange, it is electric blue, and it drops to the ground, and an alarm says, confiscation field, failure. You pick it up, and a door opens in front of you, and a dozen guards come running straight at you. And since all your other weapons were destroyed, you have one option. Give the gravity gun a try. Let's gravity the shit out of this. This is the moment people think about when they think about Half-Life 2. Okay. When I played this again recently, the reflexive smile I had when I hit that button <laughs> and watched as it picked up one of these soldiers for the first time and I sent him flying into his teammates, deleting them from existence. What the fuck? As they fade into nothingness was so fucking satisfying. <gasps> oh, that's great. Like, honestly, if 27-year-old Dr. Gordon Freeman had been your boyfriend up to this point, this is the moment when you realize you're going to marry this man someday. <laughs> I love a good marry me moment. So the gravity gun has been obviously upgraded. Yeah. And when it pulls, it can now pull massive objects. Oh, Gordy can pull. That's for damn sure. Like whole computers out of the walls. Oh, shit. So... It just, like, cranked all the way up. Like, yeah, TVs broadcasting breencasts, giant crates, fucking anything. That's fucking good. And when you repel something with your gravity gun, it throws it further and faster than it did before, and it also deletes itself from existence when it <laughs> collides with something else. <laughs> oh, that's so good. And it deletes whatever it hits along with it with the only real exception being walls. So this is just OP as fuck. Yeah, you're Super Gordon. Super Gordon. And Super Gordon destroys his way through the Citadel looking for Dr. Breen, and he keeps popping up on screens threatening and trying to insult Gordon into giving up. Insult him into giving up is such a weird, like, thought process for a villain. He keeps calling him mediocre scientist who worked at Black Mesa for a couple months right out of college. This guy definitely knew Cave Johnson. He's basically painting him as the person that you've painted him out to be in your head. as like this hungover <laughs> shitbag. <laughs> That's my man's. Watch your mouth. And then out of nowhere, he just kind of took the path of a mercenary for no fucking reason. And now he's Deadpool. Fuck it. After opening a portal to hell. Yeah. Well, you know, after college, you go through a lot of growth. Well, I mean, I thought about the last time. You met a hungover 27-year-old shitbag. And, and I married him. You fell in love and married him, yeah. So this actually is very true to character for me. Yeah, and I hadn't quit drinking yet, and so I was very often very hungover. Yeah, you were. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm still recovering. <laughs> we, would, we would drink a lot, too. We did. Because I was like, I'm young and fun. And you were like, I'm horribly depressed. <laughs> and I was like, this is perfect. And we would just kill a whole thing of Jack in a night. We would kill four racks of Bud Light. I taught you how to play wizard stuff, and that didn't help to gamify drinking. Anyway. Yeah, there's reason I quit drinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's only partially me guys it's fine but yeah gordy was up my alley <laughs> i like him messy uh yeah no that was right up my alley <laughs> well in fact 
in order to counter all the love we have going on about for like the last hour and a half for Andrea's boyfriend and now fiance, <laughs> 27 year old oh, Dr. Gordon I'm Freeman. I'm getting the rock, honey. I'm going to tell the story of the day we met. Because as 2011 Andrea would say, the story is hella cute. Tom, I'm from the Bay. <laughs> it's an accent. It was August of 2011, and we were both at Cal State Northridge. <laughs> As mentioned in a previous episode, the home of Cheech Marin. <laughs> yes, Cheech Marin of Cheech and Chong. Yeah, a fellow alumnus of CSUN. And I walked into my advanced poetry class where there's roughly 14 people in this entire class. The seats were set up in a little half circle. Yeah, make it sound cooler, Tom, thing. Yeah. <laughs> really making me sound awesome. And so being in a half circle, there's no back of the class, but if there was a back of the class, that's definitely where I sat. <laughs> and the teacher came in and said that we were all going to have to pair up with another person in the classroom for a project. The and project was to write to each other about poetry the entire semester. Yeah, it was it, a semester long project. It's not like we made a diorama in a shoebox. This was being like, I think it's evoking this emotion. <laughs> like it was very fucking flouncy. Yeah. Everybody in the classroom clearly knew each other very much so because they were paired up within seconds. Yeah, because we all went to the bars together and stuff. And then the teacher looked around and goes, okay, is there anybody not paired up yet? And so Andrea and I both raise our hands. We're sitting next to each other, by the way. Not making eye contact. Never spoke to anybody during this entire like, pair up <laughs> section. So I saw everyone else be like, oh, hey, I know you. And I was just like, I don't really like him. Yeah, you <laughs> knew people in that class. I, I did. Didn't. Yeah. Well, I was fun in college. And the teacher says, all right, is anybody left? And we both raised our hand. She goes, okay, you two are together. And then Andrea turned and said the first thing she ever said to me. Looks like it's just you and me. Oh, I know. It's the cutest <laughs> fucking thing in the world, isn't it? And like when I tell people, oh, we met in our senior seminar poetry class, we were assigned to write to each other for a semester. People are just like, you don't have to lie to me. <laughs> like, But time wise, this did happen before Tinder was invented. Yep. Like, check the timeline. We, I've never had an, a dating app ever in my life. And <laughs> I was like, cool, I could ruin this guy's life for a couple months. <laughs> And it's been years. Yep. So that's the last time Andrea met a 27-year-old underachiever. Yeah. Hung over his shit. Yeah, you were like, it was probably 11 in the morning. You were chugging a liter of Mountain Dew. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was in hot shorts and boots <laughs> and was like, I am here. <laughs> probably a little drunk. <laughs> I was a partier. Yeah, we both were. I was fun. <laughs> Oh, and now I'm just out here lusting after video game boys. So back to this other underachiever, Dr. Gordon Freeman. You watch your mouth when you're talking about my mans. Well, his lazy ass sees another <laughs> coffin thing and he hops back into it because maybe it'll take you closer to Alex and Dr. Vance. Aw. You're transported to a room with some Overwatch agents and they take your gravity gun from you and hold it out at arm's length, kind of scared of it. And a door opens and bitch ass stepmom Dr. Mossman comes into the room and says she'll take over from there. And the soldier walks away with your gun. I still don't trust her. Oh, you shouldn't. No. Fuck this woman. She tells you the more you struggle, the more it'll suck for you. <gasps> what she's, a bitch. She's not threatening you. She's more saying it like she's on your side. But it's also like the good cop of a good cop, bad cop routine. Yeah. Dentists say to you when they hit you before you get your fucking numbing in, like that 
bitch. Yeah, telling you to cooperate because you don't want to make it worse for yourself. Ugh. It's not really being on your side. She's a butthole. And you're still in your pod, unable to move, and you're literally on rails through this next section, and the closest thing to an actual cutscene we get in the game, as everything kind of plays out in front of you while you're unable to control yourself outside of kind of moving your head around. You enter into the room behind her, and Dr. Breen is saying some serious L. Ron Hubbard shit, like, Oh, shit. Worlds stretched thin across the membranes where dimensions intersect while talking to Eli, and it's like some very weird shit. Yeah, I mean, he's let all this shit go to his head. And Dr. Eli is still in his pod, and he's kind of, like, dangling next to Dr. Breen while he's talking to him. Eli's like, you are literally holding me captive in this conversation and physically, and I would like <laughs> to not be in this situation. Oh, uh, you know, Dr. Breen likes a captive audience. But um bum And Eli argues that whatever Dr. Breen is trying to accomplish, what has happened here is genocide. And it's not ending, as they've stopped humans from breeding, and it will just lead to their extinction. Ugh. But their conversation is cut short as Dr. Breen's amazed to see you. The soldier presents the gravity gun to Dr. Breen. He laughs at it like it's a toy and it's like, what's this? Put it over there. And just kind of like waves it away from him. And the soldier goes and puts it down and on Dr. Breen's desk and goes off and stands in a corner. Dr. Breen says you two should have worked together on this as he didn't realize he wanted to get there as badly as you wanted to. Because he wanted you there as much as you wanted to be there. Oh my God. But you also delivered him a dear old colleague and friend in Dr. Eli Vance. Dr. Mossman tells Dr. Breen that they need to make a deal with the Combine for Eli's life so that he can continue his research and finish the portal to send them back to their dimension. Dr. Breen says they no longer need him for that as Dr. Mossman is perfectly capable of doing it herself. No, she's not. She's a dumbass. She just lacks the confidence in herself. Oh, this is not some, oh, if you believe in yourself, we can defeat the aliens bullshit. She's a, she's a backstabbing butthole. I mean, Dr. Breen's a feminist. That's not what that means. <laughs> we needed more women in STEM, right? No, not, not at this cost. <laughs> What he, I think this is setting us back a couple decades. This is regressive <laughs> for the movement. What he actually needs from Eli and Gordon is to calm the rebels and get them to stop their assault. Eli refuses, and so Dr. Breen plays his best card, and he brings in Alex. Oh, no. He tells them if they don't tell the rebels to stop, he'll send both of them into one of the Combine's test portals. He's not sure if it'll kill them or send them to another dimension. He just knows they won't come back. Oh, my God. Plus, the resistance has shown that they would follow a new leader, one that has people who control him. He says this as he's looking directly at Gordon in his eyes. No, my boyfriend. And like, I don't know that he knows specifically who the G-Man is, but I think he knows someone has to be in charge, especially since he noticed that. Gordon was frozen in time. Yeah, he's like, you're here for a reason. Someone broke you out. I know it's not any of these knuckleheads. And, Something's going on. And he says he knows that Gordon can be bought by the highest bidder. <laughs> because again, you are an underachieving dumbass. And Alex is shocked to hear this, and she doesn't believe a word of it. Dr. Gordon Freeman is a fucking hero, not a mercenary. As he's threatening you, his favorite thing in the world... Dr. Mossman sneaks up behind him and uses her taser to stop the teleporter machine from working. Oh, shit. Dr. Breen calls for some guards and Dr. Mossman wrestles with him and gets tossed aside. Dr. Breen picks up the gravity gun and shoots it at you. 
and a flash of light appears and you wake up on the ground as the gun hit one of the pods first and only destroyed the pod. Oh, thank God. But it caused an explosion first and everyone was released from their own pod, leaving you and Alex to chase after Dr. Breen, who sneaks off into an elevator. You and Alex leave Dr. Mossman to look after Eli and run off to confront Dr. Breen. As you catch up to him, he's speaking to a huge computer monitor, and on that monitor is like a slug-like alien creature that we've never seen before. And Dr. Breen is arguing, saying, well, if a host body is the only way out, I'll take it. (gasps) Oh, that fucking slime ball. He notices you and Alex and drops the gravity gun and runs off and into an elevator. Wait, was he speaking to the alien in English? Yeah, he was. Okay, because we know he learned the alien language, so it wasn't him going like, Bloop, 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 no, bloop, he didn't do that. With no. subtitles? Okay. <laughs> no. How funny would that, that be? That would have been really this funny. This serious as fuck, like, shootout, like, high-tension situation, and then it's him FaceTiming an alien going, gloop, 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 gloop. Gurgling at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get your gun back, and Alex says you're near the generator that powers the teleportation system. If you can shut it down, you can stop the Combine from eventually opening and controlling their own portal between worlds, which seems to be what Dr. Breen is attempting to open right now. You make it to a shaft that goes up a really long ways, and Dr. Breen is in the middle, like, in this bubble thing protecting him. Mm-hmm. And in the center of the shaft, and it's slowly rising upwards, you have to, like, puzzle and maze solve your way up the shaft racing him. It's very difficult, but in a fulfilling way and not a frustrating way. Like, remember the climbs that I was talking about in Psychonauts and how fucking terrible those were? Oh, yeah. Yeah, nothing like that. It's hard, but not like, I'm going to kill somebody. But not, I'm going to smash my controller hard. No. More challenging. And Dr. Breen still taunts you on your way up, telling you that once the teleporter fires up, he's going to disappear to another dimension and be safe, and you will be destroyed in ways that aren't even possible on a molecular level. What the fuck? And of course, you race to the top and you get there first. And there's a battle at the top with some flying alien helicopter things. And you're being mocked while you use your gravity gun to the best of its abilities to destroy the core that powers the teleporter to stop it from firing up. I really hate that Breen is just like, you know what'll get under his skin? Shit talking. Like, (laughs) instead of him threatening things like, oh, I'm just going to fucking kill Eli. Or like, oh, I'm going to fucking walkie talkie and have them find Barney and slit his throat. He's just like, Hey, your haircut's stupid. I know that's not the fucking line or anything, <laughs> but it's that equivalent of like, he could be a really dark, mean character, but he takes on this persona where he's like, I'm just going to talk mad shit. And it doesn't work because you do blow up the uh, core and Dr. Breen yells out and then goes silent. <gasps> Alex comes running out and she watches as the core shuts down and says, you need to get out of here before something and then something goes wrong. Obviously. The core explodes in a fireball, and you watch Alex shield her face, and time stops. Like, the one good scene in that X-Men movie, I think it was Apocalypse, where the mansion explodes and Quicksilver comes running in, like, to Sweet Dreams, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's great. I've only seen that part of the movie, but it's a very fun three minutes. Yeah, the fireball from this explosion looks like that. Oh, cool. And Alex is frozen in the blast radius and is about to be thrown back. And your boss, the (gasps) G-Man. Fades into existence, walking from out in the middle of fucking nowhere, like out in the air towards you, but he's on like a platform you just can't see. Okay. He tells you that you performed this last job so incredibly well, and in such great time, he has received some extraordinary offers for your services. Offers he wouldn't normally entertain, but they're so outrageous, he has no choice. Hmm. So, it's that time again, and he's here to pluck you out of this job and take you to your next one. Oh my god! 
The scene fades away around the two of you, and you are back in the black void with the moving lights from the start of the game. The G-Man tells you he will see you in... Well, he's not at liberty to say. But until then, this is where he gets off. What the fuck? He walks away from you, and an unseen door opens in the void, and he steps through it, leaving you in the blackness until the next time you're needed. The end. Jesus fucking Christ! <sighs> they just pluck you out of, like, an explosion? That was the job that you were needed to do. You needed to stop the Combine from getting their uh, teleporter up and running, and once that was done, your job's done. Holy shit, Gordy, honey, you need to come home. It's bubble bath time. Like, he needs a foot rub. And there are two technical sequels to this. There's Half-Life 2 Episode 1 and Half-Life 2 Episode 2 that does continue this story. Okay. And we will definitely visit those on our Patreon. Oh. Good. <laughs> For a half second, I was like, I want to hear about it. I'm on the show. I... <laughs> You're going to get to. I'm going to get to. Okay. And thanks. anybody that subscribes to our Patreon is going to get to as well. <laughs> we'll also get. I am so stressed out right now. Like, look at my hand. <laughs> <laughs> They're so sweaty. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so stressed out. <laughs> what the fuck? Did people just finish that game and start screaming? Absolutely they did. And here was the thing. We were promised episodes one episode two and episode three and we never got episode three we never got half-life three. Oh, but valve can do drop a deuce like no other like, like i said no other and we've recently gotten i say recently in the last two years we got the vr game half-life alex it's a prequel to this game in which you play as alex i guess i haven't played it myself i've been like trying to go spoiler free with that one because I, when i do finally play it i want to go through it like fully oh totally because I'm absolutely playing that game as soon as I can. Yeah, yeah. But, oh, I'm so stressed out right now. I feel like if I had a <laughs> blood pressure test right now, it would be off the charts. Like, how can you just end, like, oh, my God. It's such a great cliffhanger. And, yeah, this game went down in history as one of the greatest video games of all time. Easily one of the best shooters of all time. It's so satisfying and with such an amazing ending. Oh, my God. Yes, that was fantastic. I feel like I just got off a roller coaster. I want to beat the shit out of Moss Man and <laughs> I want to protect Eli. I want to protect Lamar. I want to have a beer with Barney. Like, fuck it. Just give me a slice of life sequence where you can just go have that beer with Barney. Right? That would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be dramatic. Just give me that. Right. Ugh. But, you know. Valve did get very busy running Steam, as you alluded to. Yeah, once Steam came into the picture, I think Dota 2 also had a lot to do with it. They had so mm. much popularity with Dota 2. Team Fortress 2 also took off after this. They had the Portal series that they focused on. You know, they had so many things. The Left 4 Dead series came out after this. They just kept shifting their focus to other things. That's really all it came down to. Yeah, and you know, it's one of those things where it's, do we revisit something that we've already put a lot of love into or do we create something new? You know, that's spoilers for Mythic Quest, but that happens throughout <laughs> that game, that show about that game as well. And, you know, creators want to keep creating. They don't want to just get stuck in a world, even though that's largely what fans want to see is usually just people coming together. That's why No Way Home did so well. Yeah, right. But 
creators are storytellers and they don't always want to tell you the same story and over and over again. And I think that's why Half-Life Alex is a VR game too. I think oh. that they wanted to take their first foray into VR with a Half-Life game because at the end of the day, their whole purpose for making these Half-Life games was to innovate. Yeah, absolutely. And they fucking nailed it. And yeah. getting into the VR world, obviously, to your point, is a perfect next step for world building and developing these engines to be able to do incredible things on these new platforms. So totally hear you. But holy shit, that was a fucking ride. It really was. Ugh. And I'm so glad that you came along for it. I am too. And thank you for telling the story of how we met in the middle of this. <laughs> uh, you know, I had to balance off all of that love. Yeah, if you guys want to do any Q&As on Patreon, I think that's a, a fair place to get to know us a little better as people. I'm totally down for that. Absolutely. We've got some weird stories, guys. <laughs> I broke a piece of art in the showrunner's office for American Gods once. Um, true. <laughs> I smoked weed with Doug Benson. Um, I was a producer on a web series once for Kevin Smith. We could tell you some fun stories. Absolutely. We smoked weed with the Wu-Tang Clan once. We did. <laughs> In a mountain. In a mountain. <laughs> Don't give away all the answers I'm, to the Patreon I'm, questions now. Oh, you know I'm not. You know this shit gets <laughs> way weirder. What comedian have I seen throwing a bacon-wrapped scallop? The question will be answered on our Patreon. <laughs> Tom knows this story, so he's dying laughing staring at me right I later befriended this comedian, weirdly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> separately. Entirely separately. Completely separately, yeah. yeah. So there's fun stuff there. Uh, we lived in LA for a long time, so you're going to get some weird shit like that, but... Oh my god, I need a, I genuinely need a drink now. Like I know we just talked about how messy we've been as drunks, but oh, I just want to cool down. Maybe just a seltzer or something cuz that was a lot, but Gordy, honey, come home to me. I love it. All right, Goombas, that's another episode of The Other Castle. Thank you so much for hanging there with us. If you're taking the tram home tonight and you want to stay connected, our information is all at theothercastlepodcast.com. That's theothercastlepodcast.com. You can email us, send us messages, find us on social, check us out on Patreon for some exclusive content, and, you know, connect with us. Join the community. Join the castle army. We are doing the thing. Absolutely. All right. Until next time, this is Tom and Andrea reminding you, don't skip the cutscenes. Thanks, guys. Bye. Rather than offer you the illusion of free choice, I will take the liberty of choosing for you. If and when your time comes round again. I do apologize for what must seem to you an arbitrary imposition, Dr. Freeman. I trust it will all make sense to you in the course of... Well... I'm really not at liberty to say. In the meantime, this is where I get off.